0: Welcome back. We took a little break last week, but we're here again for another sermon and question answer.
1: Yes, this whole thing hinges on you. Happy your vacation Fourth of July.
0: I wasn't here. I did leave it all set up for you before before I left. None of us could press that button. You just it's hard to no one. No one heard it. No one heard it. There were no questions from that. Was a sermon that was so well handled. You didn't need a podcast exactly. The title of the sermon was
1: answering your questions. I'm trying to remember what I preached on two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. The last half of chapter seven. The last half of chapter seven. Singleness. Yes. singleness. Ah, that would have been a good
0: podcast. I'm surprised we didn't get any questions on that.
1: Yeah. No, this will be an hour I'm podcast. No. No, no, no. No, that was a g- I enjoyed that sermon too. It was a good sermon. It was a good perspective on singleness.
0: You yeah. here. This past Sunday was a good sermon too, talking was about it? Um, the tension of license and I liberty. Just my,
1: I just kinda, Yeah, I cut. I just kind of tooted my own sermon. Like that was a good sermon. How do I know? Yeah. This was
0: good. Yeah, some that you it was good. I enjoyed think that enjoyed really doing good. It. You I get
1: doing it because I never preached on that topic before. And I, in hindsight, I wish I had. I enjoyed preparing that one. one well, single. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed preparing that one and thinking through that and teaching it. And I think, it, I think, I think, uh, encouraged a lot of our singles. You know, the ones I came across were, I think, so encouraged to use their singleness as a season for however long, even if it was a lifetime, for more for the kingdom. So it's good. Enjoyed it. This one was uh, personally to me. It was a <laughs> good. Yeah. And you're a dyed-in-the-wool Southern Baptist. There you go. Used to be. Born and Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. yeah, to
0: be sure. Why am I here? To press that I could still be on vacation. To press, a, to press that button, All we I do is we, d- me and Joey don't know how to press. That's right. I'll sh- I'll teach you how to press the button. I don't have to be here anymore. I'll go home. No, you're you're, you're creating value around right. yourself. So <laughs> This is the only don't button. Teach that us. Only Josh can press this button. I need to raise them. So, one of the things that I, I was thinking through that I thought we
2: could spend a little bit of time on, uh, all three of us, maybe dialogue about it, really, um, is I, I'm thinking of the word hospitality, right? And so, for some of the, uh, the, the the world that we come from, it can be a lot more, all three of us, a lot more legalistic in their way. Of, and I appreciate you saying that you know,
1: can't believe really the motive of their heart was to be that mental, artistic, no. in their mind, Mm -hmm. And and so I'm thinking through, um, uh, and maybe this is a two-tier question, but uh, maybe let's start outside. How do we engage with people? How do we develop this
2: theology of hospitality where we can engage with people outside of the Christian church? Right.
1: Yeah. While not violating our Or, you know, some yeah. yeah, I th- so you know, one of the things that is in my life that has been that how do how do you engage with those outside the church and especially when you work in the church, so it, it you have to be a little bit intentional. But one of the things that God's used in my life is kind of my kids' hobbies. So, uh they've played a lot of sports especially, um, But in those hobby times, you end up being in the community. And so that's been a great outlet for me and my family. And we're kind of growing out of that season. So I have to think strategically about being more in the community and around lost people going forward. But um, So a lot of my interaction has been around that. And so the first thing that goes across my mind when I'm in that setting is uh, lost people act lost. So I don't have – this goes back to the sermon we preached on – Chapter five that lost people act lost. You, Paul even says, we're, "I'm not about judging lost people. That's what the Lord will do." Um, and then we, you know he gives us the premise for judging believers. But um, and so I don't I'm, I don't ever get out in the community and act surprised by things that are said or behaviors. And and so it's an, I, I really try to come across as that's not my place in this setting. Uh, I just want to okay. bu- I want to build a relationship. I want to get to know them. I want to talk to them, ask them questions. I don't even feel the need to necessarily be disagreeable. Um over many topics that maybe in the church, I might push on a little harder with another believer because I know their worldview should be being shaped by the scriptures and by their pursuit of Christ, but i don 't feel the need to do that in the community with lost people. I let them act lost.
2: You as a
1: Um. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. I mean that that well that goes to the public school question, right? Usually, when someone asks me about public cause should Christians make use of public school, what they're concerned about is the worldly influence. Usually, not r- surrounding the education, although sometimes it is. You have a view of classical education or whatever, but usually it has to do with man. I'm concerned about the worldly influences, mm-hmm. and so. I, with my kids, I, I've just always leaned into, at the end of the day, I, th- I really believe me and my wife have the most influence. So whatever's coming from the outside, we should be discipling and teaching and modeling in the home. So I've just always leaned into that belief. I, I guess it's a bi- biblical belief. I don't know why I've thought that, but at the end of the day, I, I assume I have the most influence, and so I can... I've never felt the need to be overly protective. Now, I'm not talking about, like, the media in my home. I've been very protective around the media and stuff in my home. But out in the world, if we're around other people, I just assume they're going to act a certain way, and my kids are going to get exposed to it. And then I try to te- leverage my influence at times I spend with them to teach them how to process the things of the world through a biblical worldview, so... Doesn't mean I let them be exposed to everything, but I guess I'm thinking through what, what this, the, the question started. How am I hospitable to lost people? And so I said, it's been in the community. In yeah, so it's in the context of I'm on the baseball field, I'm on the soccer field. Kids start using language I would never want my children to use, or even their coach, you know, might do that. I I, I just don't feel the need to jump and go crazy around that. That's what worldly people do, and. And then I may process it later with my children behind closed doors. But, I, you know, I, I, they have w- were to be in the world but not of the world. And so there's some he- healthiness to t- teaching your own children how to do that too. Um, so, And that goes back to your original question about maybe I grew up in this legalistic church. The heart of that church was not to be legalistic. Their heart was to protect us as believers to be able to grow in our sanctification um, I I obviously process that differently than what I was taught. You know, um,
2: I think some of it was a an overemphasis or a lack of emphasis, maybe on the yucky. The sin is already inside of us. Like it, it these external things aren't um, putting something in our hearts that it isn't already there. It's drawing. Mm, that it's a good
1: point. It's a really good point. And so
2: there's plenty of, I mean, uh, people that isolate themselves
1: from the world. Yeah. Uh, and I wish I, yeah. There's a great book I read in seminary that I probably should have highlighted on the handout. Richard Niebuhr's book, "Christ and Culture." Have you ever read that? Yeah, yeah. yeah and it gives four. V- that book. Did I? Yeah. It gives you four. I don't w- think I've given it back. Problem. Well, you know what your books come back with when I yeah. you lend them to me destroyed i i read sometimes read books on an exercise bike and so joey one time lent me a book and i sweat all over it and then gave it back to him and it was pretty much destroyed. why i didn't buy him a new one i'll never know too cheap so you did get it back um but that's got a great it has a great grid for kind of letting us know like i think you could, you'll read his book and go oh that's how i process how christ and culture he gives four views of how most christians process that and for me it was kinda like, Oh the, yeah, that's kind of my my view. <laughs> that's how I kinda come down. You're saying I'm old. Yeah. My book my bookshelf yeah. is starting to look old.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: hmm Yeah, excellent book. Same same Yeah. subtitle that is how to engage the culture Right. And, and I might push, ask you a question, I mean, because I think when you're in, you know, you're, you're hanging out with people that are not believers, well, what is, the go- what is it they have to know to be saved? And so they have to become aware of wh- who the true and living God is, and that is His holiness, which then I think exposes their sin, which then reveals the need, which is the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's kind of how I process that, so... It's sometimes, I think, when you're talking to a lost person that you want desperately to know Christ, how do you, without coming across as rules and legalistic, try to expose the need, the understanding of the holiness of God, and then, therefore, they're sinners, you know? Yeah, how do you do that? So, for me, it's,
2: resist the temptation of great so and i by God's providence are surrounded by some pretty liberal non Christians that we're friends with and have some relationships with and we try to keep a, a dialogue open and we have dinner with them it's not all the time but you know, we try to make sure we have those touch points. And they're very uh, liberal. Uh, I mean they're big the transgender movement they're negative than that, pro same sex movement they're extremely pro abortion and i distinguish that from even being pro choice like they're pro abortion and um um pro uh li- I would probably even call themselves uh socialists and 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 not be shy of that label and so they come from a, a really different world view than Brayden and i do uh, and i try to not think of um them in the sense of they need to stop being pro-abortion or they're going to go to hell. They need to stop being pro-same-sex marriage or they're going to go to hell. They need to stop being pro-this, pro-that. That's not what is alienating them from God. What's alienating them from God is that um, they know that God exists, Romans 1, but they suppress that knowledge and worship the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And so that, that helps simplify, I'm not trying to win them to my biblical worldview, I'm trying to show them that they're created in the image of God. And, and I, I, I try to do that by, um, talking, um, mostly about the kindness and the generosity of God. And so, uh, j- just a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching at a, uh, a friend of mine's local church and they asked me to preach on the doctrine of total depravity. And, and, uh, and, um, I decided I was reading the Genesis account and, um, Talking about um, some of what you said this week, God, God, um, forbidding them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I I noticed something that I don't think I've paid a whole lot of attention to before in the past, and it was the idea that God offered them absolutely every other tree; like they could have had every tree. Like He was this generous, gracious God, and and when sin entered into the picture. He became legalistic. It became legal he became this tyrant in the eyes of Adam and Eve and and um and, and certainly that's how non believers see him now, even those that say he do- doesn't exist. But God was generous to them and he was even generous after the fall by clothing them and by saying that I'm gonna send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and we know that that's Jesus Christ. Look, we serve a generous God, and so I like to use that language with unbelievers, and when I talk about the generosity of God, they're curious, why, what, how is God generous? And that opens the door for me to be able to talk about the gospel. Um, I had one conversation with a friend of ours who's in that worldview, and, and she was upset about, um, uh, there was this article published in the New York Times that was talking about uh, these homeless people who die and no one, uh, they can't find any connections to them family-wise and, and uh, they can't seem to locate any family, anything like that. They put them on this um, boat and they ship them to this small island outside of New York and they have this big trough that they build, uh, dig, and they dump their bodies in the, and they don't have marked graves for them. So if one of our relatives happened to be homeless and we catch wind of it, or whatnot, you would not be able to find out what happened to them because there's no death certificate there's no there's just no way to find out and this girl who was telling me about the story was so upset like almost in tears when she was telling me about it and I asked her why like why do you care about that and she looked at me stunned that I would ask her why she cared about that and I said well I I care about that but I care about that because I believe they're created in the image of God you don't be, you don't believe that, so why 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 does that bother you at all? I said it bothers you because deep down you know that there's something unique about dignity, people, and there, dignity. there's dignity, there's value, there's worth, and it led us into this conversation about the gospel, and and it doesn't always happen smoothly and neat and tidy like that. And that's over the course of knowing this person for years. That was just this little glimmer of this productive conversation that I have, but. I try not to get bogged down in trying to win them to my worldview when they don't know my Savior, and uh, and so I, I'm much more concerned about the state of their soul, and then I trust that if the Lord saves them, um, man, then we can begin to talk about how the gospel affects everything, including their worldview.
1: Right. We don't have to get bogged down, and man, they curse a lot. Yeah, or, man, man. I wish you'd stop cussing lot, around or, me. Man, they're doing drugs. Yeah. You know, that's you know, and I think think for us as Christians in American culture, and we f- we get tied quickly into politics and, the, you know, how the gospel does, and the gospel does touch politics, and as a believer, it should follow us into the voting booth. But for an unbeliever, I mean, these passages of scripture we're looking at, I mean, they were written in a culture where, C- you know, Caesar, Pontius Pilate had his way with Christ, and Christ never yelled at the government, you know. And said, "Man, the government's wrong here and that that government was submitted to the authority of his heavenly Father and carrying out his heavenly Father's will. And um, it was the you know Paul in writing on things like homosexuality or gender issues, w- the culture there was very a very pro homosexual culture and pro abortion culture, and you know, and we don't even see Christ sometimes touch on any of these things in teaching. Not that it's unholy or unrighteous in the eyes of his Father, but that wasn't the greatest issue. The greatest issue is the sin." Sin in the heart that is inside all of us that needed a appropriate penalty and resurrection. So
2: we've seen it always goes bad for churches when we try to promote some sort of morality over and beyond the call to herald the gospel. Um, uh, It always goes bad for churches, and we end up compromising even the morality that we're trying to promote if we think that. I, we can advance the agenda somehow we're willing to cut corners
1: which is why I'm, I'm so optimistic i'm probably more optimistic for the church in america than i've ever been because i'm thinking the more the culture goes away from it being moral the more we can then tr- herald christ and i think the church's greatest years in america may be ahead of us still you know um that doesn't mean it's not going to be pr- maybe pressure, um, but I, but uh, what are what are um that may what mean? Our message really is is yeah. going to become distinct. It's going to be obvious. It it it's not vote for this person. It's trust Christ because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so as our culture gets all the things it wants and all the things that things are going to make us happy, it's it's still going to be lost. And people mm-hmm. are still going to be hurting, and we still get to lift up the one that will save them. So I'm incredibly hopeful about the church in America probably more than I've ever been as the culture seems to be going 100 miles an hour away f- in the opposite direction so th- I think that will bode itself for us to be a brighter light and um, what
2: what n- we could have such an incredible influence if even now we settle in on the discipline of exercising hospitality exercising um patience and, and ha- having a commitment and longevity in our relationships with people while we stand on the unwavering truth of the Word of God. All of those things together right. really is going to give us a voice in the, in our community and our nation in a way that um, probably hasn't happened in the past. Yeah, the
1: church comes across as angry most lost people and, uh, and so for me when I'm individual with lost people I'm not angry at them I'm really not I'm I enjoy their company I um I don't feel like I have to I just want them to know Christ will take care of all the other stuff so I'm not there to be the morality police with them which I think is the heart of your question when, when it comes to hospitality so I can sir I can hang with them I can eat dinner with them I can be seen in the community with uh, you know someone that. Doesn't maybe is a lost person and enjoy their company and pray for that opportunity to talk about spiritual matters because it, every human being does have a spiritual side and it will come up, you know, and you'll have those opportunities to share the gospel. So, anyway, yeah, I think that was the heart of your question.
2: It was, yeah, and and I think if you guys are looking for even a testimony on that, I, I, there's a um. Book "Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert" by Rosaria Butterfield. She was a feminist professor, her own title at Syracuse University for years, and practicing lesbian. And the Lord ended up faithfully saving her. But it was when she was writing a critique on a um, on the Bible, and she needed to spend some time with a, a pastor as a someone she could interview and gain research, uh, information from that kind of stuff that, uh, he, he was compassionate. He was hospitable. He and his wife were to this lady and, uh, the Lord used it over years, took a few years, but the Lord used it to save her. And, (laughs) and, uh, I, those kind of stories stick in the back of my mind because I, I just think sometimes we're tempted to, um, we just have the short, short term in view and it's, I need to, I need to make sure that I, I, this person is my project and I only have this short amount of time with this project and I need to make sure that I fix it up all neat and tidy and, and w- in the process of that make sure it doesn't get on me and um, I don't get the pain on me or whatever. And, and I think we need to have kind of a more of a l- long-term view or relational view, hospitable view.
1: And I think we all live in the tension of, you know, uh, so I always lean into ultimately God saves people, I don't want the sovereignty of God over even salvation. So that gives me great rest. But we also get to herald the gospel and there is an urgency. it should be an urgency to our opportunities, you know, and so sometimes I think I shy away from you know, gee, I don't want to be a Jesus freak and I think that a little bit more of that in my life would be a positive thing, you know, of man, the urgency of I do want to be the herald. I do want you to know about Christ.
2: But the Jesus freak isn't um, refusing the beer, as you say.
1: No, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, you know, my thing on that is, it, you know, I probably wouldn't take the beer, but it wouldn't. But I would understand it in the context of hospitality. You know, f- he's being hospitable, I, so my I would counter with, "Hey, do you have a coke? Yeah, I'm, I'm thirsty. You got a coke?" Or, you know, the person's just attempting to be hospitable to you, and I think there's a way to handle that. And 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 alcohol it's a non-issue to that person, and I think. The the culture I grew up in, it w- that became the issue, and that's not the issue at all. They're being hospitable, so if you didn't want to yeah. take the beer... The culture we grew up in, it was you
2: take the beer equals you deny me before man, I deny you before my father.
1: Yeah, very much so, or similar, right? And whether that was taught or not, I'd, in my church it probably wasn't, but it was it felt implied, you know? And I think that, again, I would just handle it, hey, I'll take a... I'll take a soda. I'll take a water. We got a water. Whatever. Just. So what do you do? Oh,
0: you're here. I'm so here. What do you do? I haven't been able to get a word in edgewise.
2: <laughs> I saw you troubleshooting something in the corner. No,
0: that's <laughs> all right. This isn't recording. You hit that button again. Um, <laughs> what do you do in the moments where you're, you're brushing shoulders, you're spending time with um, unbelievers, and it begins to move into a, an area that you do know is sinful like you're around a bunch of guys and the joking starts getting off color or um something along those lines how, how do you handle those types of situations without coming across as
2: you fake a phone call don't you like oh i got to i got to get this hello
1: <laughs> that's you yeah I, I those are i think wisdom dictates there you know i know I,
2: one, I think I could talk about a, the dignity of a person. Like, yeah. like, guys, we're, it, it, if it's uh, men yeah. objectifying women, like, l- are we looking at women as an object right now? Like, this is very
1: vulgar and crude, and I don't just... I, I know one of the little things I do sometimes, maybe this, like, when the the whole guy, you know, again, I, I'm thinking about the circles I run in where guys will start to put down their wives or something, and I'll I have sometimes interjected with, man, I'm sorry to hear, I have an amazing wife, and no one ever knows what to do with that, you know? And so I, tr- I don't know. I, th- I think wisdom dictates, you know, it, some of it depends on how level of relationship you have, you know? So if you have a really good relationship, then I think you can speak into it very directly. Like, hey, man, we're objectifying women. I'm not going to be a part of that. Um, maybe just walk away. I think another thing, too, is I, I've seen believers that, um, I think you also have to be careful that the, the wor, the people you're hanging with are not influencing you, you know, cause I've seen that a lot in maybe a new believer or something where in the, maybe for the intent of being, um, um, relational with some of their friends or something, uh, they, the, the friends begin to influence them and, I think we have to be aware of that in that hospitality piece is are they in is my thinking is my world being influenced to be unbiblical because
2: people could quickly use the well I'm, I need to be hospitable as an excuse to indulge their own flesh right. compromise Correct. and so there's that tension which I think you did a great job this Sunday preaching that tension there is the tension yeah. there so it comes down to heart motives
1: yeah so a lot of these things. I mean, I, we could go through the. I don't think I don't have time to do it, but you know, go through the list of questions I asked right out of the shoot, which you know, different people have different. You to
0: give your opinion on every one of I'm them. I'm going
1: to go through and give my opinion on all of them, which that might be you know. You settled out. Can only be a good panel discussion. Your
0: please.
2: favorite R-rated movie, Passion <laughs> of the Christ.
0: Passion <laughs> of the Christ.
1: Exactly.
2: It's the only one you've watched, right? I was going to make the that and that Gladiator. We know, we
1: know that Christians can see PG-13 movies. You see, that's a whole new thing that I didn't have growing up. It was PG and R. PG thirteen's relatively yeah. new. Last 25 years, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Watch Chevy Chase's the Funny B- Farm right at PG. I turn that on. I'm like, what is what? happening <laughs> on this PG film? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was so. either G, PG, or R. Yep. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So, anyway, I mean, I, I think in all of those, you know, they're. Um, if you're a new, like, if you're hearing this, you're a new Christian or you're, you know, you're. I think. I think some healthy community can speak into the these grayer areas for us. Um, I I feel the freedom really to to in some of them to move between them, but be depending like on alcohol is what I'm thinking of. You know, I, I could have a beer or not have a beer. Like I could, I feel the freedom to move between that because my conscience is clear. Uh, I generally and I was on it. I generally don't drink cuz it's a non-issue, but because it's a non-issue if some if a neighbor, an unbelieving neighbor offered me a beer, I I I gen- I don't take it, but I could and it wouldn't offend my conscience, I don't think mm. it violate the scriptures, you know. Um and I could even hear a believer say, "Well, I take the beer because I want to build a bridge for the gospel." And I would go, "Okay." Like, yeah. okay. So I I I just don't take that. ten of them, so yeah, you know and that and that's the thing about drunkenness and i in one of the services, I made that point, you know, what point does it become drunkenness? is mm-hmm. it who is it I don't know <laughs> you know so so, in all those, I think wisdom, you know wisdom, knowledge of the scriptures, um leaning into the wisdom of community, understanding your position in your local church um. All of those things come into play, and you can't discount any of them. You know, They all should be in your mind. And um, so in all
2: things, you're an ambassador of Christ, representing your king in all things.
0: Well, and and that's a question you've in p- previous sermons have even brought. It's not so much about whether to do or not do this. It's what's going to bring God the greatest glory. And if you're able to filter it through that question, that should help. It helps. Um, you come down on the decision, like man, maybe I don't need to do this, or maybe this is something I can do. And right.
2: So anytime you have a question, just email Pastor Sean. Is that Pastor Sean's cell phone number? Is
0: <laughs> just text eight it. six text seven,
2: seven five three zero nine.
1: Eight. Text yeah. him day
0: or night. Before your time.
1: That you know that song. That's a secular old, song. I'm what an old do you, soul. Can oh. you list a secular? As long
2: as leader? it don't make your hips sway. Like if it starts, you know what you said? That's what was my takeaway from your sermon. As long as I'm your listening take to away this with song, hospitality.
1: was hospitality. So. All right. All right. Thanks, Pastor Sean. Thank you, small group leaders and others that are listening to the podcast. We have new people. Unspecified. Unspecified. We, Unspecified. we do. Mm-hmm. So. Thank All you guys right. for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.